0: Welcome to The Sword and the Trowel, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. Thanks for listening to The Sword and the Trowel today. A big thank you to our FAM members, that is our Founders Alliance membership. Thanks for your monthly support. Uh, We are very encouraged in this season, all sorts of content is being produced and one thing we're very excited about is the forthcoming book by what standard so we produced a synodoc not too long ago you've seen the synodoc now read the book uh we've got our our chapters in there from voddy bacham yeah three three chapters in there that would really be worth the whole book uh he wrote on cultural marxism ethnic gnosticism and racial reconciliation right and you got a couple chapters in that book on white privilege and uh, World ideologies, right? right. And uh, I contributed to that book, Chad Vegas out in California. Uh, Dr. Tom Nettles as well. Contributed Time and to that book. Klein. Dr. Mark Coppinger and Time and Klein. So yeah. uh, just a wonderful resource. It's actually going to be in our hands very soon, and we're going to be sending it out. Uh, so you can purchase that book on founders.org right now at a pre-pub price, I think for only How many more days? A few
1: more days, maybe the end of the week or something like that. But uh, it's worth I think it's only $11 right now, and and that's a steal, actually. And this is true. You know, you've heard people say all the time, they go to watch a movie, and they come out of the theater saying, you know, the book's so much better. Okay, (laughs) so that's just going to be the truth about this as well. Hopefully, maybe. You you watch the film, now read the book.
0: You're stretching that a little bit. (laughs) Uh, It's not like, you know, the Hobbit or anything, but, uh, you know, Hey, uh, well, we are very excited, uh, because we have some special guests with us today, even on the big screens. Uh, the, the, the secret news is they can't see us, but we can (laughs) totally see them and you guys look great.
1: Yeah. We're glad to have you here. So we got Daryl Harrelson and Virgil Walker. They really don't need any introduction as they are the hosts of the Just Thinking podcast. And that podcast recently has gone to number one among Christian podcasts in North America, for which we are very, very grateful. God's used these brothers to spread his truth uh, around the world, actually. We, they hear from people from different countries. I talk to people all the time. And in fact, it's it's fun uh, now because people say, you mean you, mean you know Virgil? You know Daryl? You know say, Virgil Daryl? Yeah, I know him. You know what? I'm going to get their autograph at some point. And uh, <laughs> that'll, that'll legitimize what we're doing here. But, man, thank you, brothers, for joining us here uh, at the Sword and the Trial podcast, we praise the Lord for you. We praise God for the fellowship we have with you men. And, and we really do believe God has raised you up for such a time as this. Uh, your biblical teaching, uh, your wisdom in trying to assess what's going on in the world and how to think biblically about it is so desperately needed in our day. So welcome. Thank you for
2: being with us. Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us on, Tom.
0: Appreciate hey, it. Since you guys are the number one Christian podcast, we actually, the main question we wanted to address today is how to fix every single problem that we're experiencing in America.
2: Right. Yeah. <laughs> we figured
0: that'd be a softball for you That's guys. That's right. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. You're right.
1: You know, we were uh, talking just a few minutes ago. I was trying to remember um, how I first met you, you brothers and uh, Daryl. I, I came across your, your uh, blog, just thinking blog. I don't know, three years ago, maybe a little longer than that. And uh, I can't remember how I got there, but I started reading and the article that was current was so good that I just began to dive in and going back and reading more and more of your articles and talked to a couple of friends and, man, have you guys heard of this Just Thinking uh, blog and, and Daryl Harrelson? You know who he is and finally found a friend that uh, knew you or maybe knew of you and looked forward to, to meeting you. And we had that opportunity for the first time face to face two years ago. Uh, in Atlanta, and that was a a wonderful time of fellowship that uh, I enjoyed with you then. And Virgil, uh, I knew about you through a family that's in our church, the Pulse family, that uh, came from Omaha and the congregation that you serve now, in an associate pastor role, moved down here. Actually, Ken's been with us for years. That's the son of the parents that have now moved down a few years ago. And, you know, they just if I say Virgil Walker, their their face lights up and uh, they are so grateful for the ministry and impact that you've had on their lives. So we're grateful to have you with us. Daryl, tell us what you're doing now. You moved out to L.A. So we got a, a, a Georgia boy moved to L.A. And now you're in the middle of the whole uh, left coast events. Uh, tell us about what you're doing there.
2: Yeah, so uh, in uh, January of 2019, Tom, uh, yeah, God uh, just uprooted my wife, Melissa, and I, and uh, brought us here to Southern California. Uh, An opportunity, uh, a door was opened, miraculously, as far as I'm concerned, uh, for me to come out here and join the staff at Grace To You, uh, which is the Bible teaching ministry of uh, John MacArthur. And in my role here at Grace To You, uh, my official title is one that was given to me by Phil Johnson. Phil Johnson, for those who may not be familiar, is the executive director here at Grace to You. And Phil gave me the title of Dean of Social Media. So what the dean does, the dean of social media does, is I'm responsible for all the uh, strategy uh, that surround the social media platforms whereby Grace to You has a presence. So Hmm. anything that has to do with our Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, All that falls under my purview as it relates and connects to the purpose statement for the ministry. So I work closely with uh, Reagan Rose, who is the director of our digital platforms. I also do some writing for the ministry, which puts me closely in touch with Jeremiah Johnson, who uh, is the son of Phil Johnson, has edited uh, some of John's books um, as well. So I kind of wear those two hats. And uh, a third hat that is i get the opportunity and the privilege to represent grace to you the ministry at various conferences and other events uh as well so um been out here now about a year and a half and um uh just just continue to reflect on on how god brought us out here and uh it's just a dream come true to be part of a ministry like this
1: that's wonderful that's wonderful and virgil tell us about your role in the church there in omaha
3: I've been here in Omaha for about a decade. We were talking before uh, we came on. I I come from the promised land, which is Oklahoma. (laughs) Or North
1: uh, (laughs) Texas.
3: (laughs) Also known by some as North Texas so that they can claim a a winning football team. But We won't go into any of that right now. Ouch. I I am. I am. uh, I'm here in Omaha. Man, love it. I'm an associate pastor, as you mentioned, of of, uh, discipleship here. Uh, at Westside Church. And uh, I've been on staff. Uh, this is my fifth year going into my sixth year, started there as a lay person, heavily involved in ministry. And uh, the tug of ministry had been on my heart uh, for quite some time and just decided to kind of begin starting some seminary classes and coursework, you know, about about eight about eight years ago. Mm. And, uh, and as a result of, of that, and then the, a lot of the teaching that I was doing there at the church when a position opened up as a discipleship uh, pastor, uh, they they approached me and asked me would I be interested in taking the position. <clears throat> I immediately said no, and uh, because my thought was uh, the man who held it prior to just was a was a tremendous uh, man, and and uh, just thought you know what I needed a lot more theological education. They've come alongside me uh, to help ensure that I finish my my uh, my MDiv. I'm going through that right now at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I'll be finishing that up hopefully in the next uh, 12 months or so uh, and, and really uh, have enjoyed my time. Mm. I'm, I provide oversight in this role uh, for about 90 different uh, life groups. Mm. Uh, some call it Sunday school. Some call it community groups. Um, about 90 life groups on three different campuses. Uh, that was, of course, prior to, co- prior to COVID-19. Um, but uh, but I provide all the theological education training and provide oversight for uh, that process. So that's, that's what I
1: do. Well, praise God. Amen. Hey, we want to talk to you about what's going on in our nation today. Uh, so if you guys had to give a, a summary statement that would serve as a theological assessment of what's going on in our society, well, how would you couch it?
2: I would just say, Virgil, I'll go first and let, let you jump in. I mean, not, not, I hope I'm trying to be succinct while not being simplistic. Mm. But I think what we're seeing going on in the world today is we're seeing sinners sin. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't know what other way to describe it as. We're seeing we're seeing ourselves as sinners, as sinful human beings, as innately corrupt at the heart level. Demonstrate that corruption. Uh, I don't know any other way to put that other than to have it set as a manifestation of Romans three twenty three, uh, Genesis six five, Genesis eight twenty. I mean, I couldn't go on and on. We're so just seeing our sinfulness play itself out in the
3: world. Mm. Yeah. I, I would, I would add to, I mean, I wouldn't add more to that. And and I think I love the way Daryl opened with being succinct without being too simplistic, mm. and that is simply. Um, you know, as, as I kind of reflected on on that by, by we just kind of preparing this morning, my thought was this is what we're seeing in our culture is not new. Uh, it, the fruit of it may look different to us because of social media and the different mediums that we have by which to observe it. But the reality is this is this is Romans 118 and following. Right. I mean, this is all this is all the same kind of stuff that we would expect to see. Uh, sinful human beings who've, who, who've abdicated a, a knowledge of God, who said, you know what, I'm, I am my own God and I desire to live life in my own way. This is what that looks like on a, on a regular and consistent basis. So this is nothing new to the pages of scripture. Uh, this is nothing new to those who believe. We, we know and recognize, I love the way Daryl put it, this is what it looks like when sinners sin.
1: You know, one of the things we we love about you guys is that you do bring the Bible to bear, and it didn't take you long uh, to do that here. And whenever you get on that ground, well, man, we have so much opportunity to have a fruitful conversation. But so often that question is being answered by evangelical leaders today in ways that either assumes the Bible or brings the Bible in. Maybe not as an afterthought, but not at the front burner. I mean, we, we discuss this a lot, and it's, it's refreshing to hear you say, okay, well, we shouldn't be surprised by that. And because of that, then, okay, we have the Bible in front of us to say, what does God say about how we're to think about it, how we are to address it, what the hope is, what the, the concerns are.
0: So and then and it's certainly sin that's going on in the nation. And, uh, you know, our, we've always had sinners in America and there's always been rebellion against God. Um, and yet there seems to be uh, certain kinds of sins that are manifesting themselves now. So if you're counseling somebody, even in the church context, um, OK, what particular sins are manifesting and then what certain promises and commands from God's word need to be applied to that particular manifestation. And I I do think this is somewhat of a difficult conversation to take it down one layer and say, okay, what, I mean, we've got everything from um, LGBTQ issues that are certainly manifesting themselves in in radical ways. Uh, We've got COVID and government restrictions that are going on. We've got statues that are being torn down in the street. We've got Black Lives Matter organization that's being advanced. And then we've kind of got like the soft evangelical middle that is, seems to be cozying up to much of that in various ways, um, and then some that are in more conservative strands that are trying to stand against this while not being unloving. Um, so we've got a number of pastors that listen to this podcast. What would you counsel them? What would you say? Here's here's some key sins that are manifesting themselves, and and here's how you should be shepherding your people and in light of
2: that. Roger I'll toss to you on that. I, 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 I'd,
3: I'd say this, because, again, what we're dealing with is, is, and the question that you asked is, is germane to what's happening. And that is, how do shepherds properly shepherd? How, how do pastors properly pastor in an environment like what we're in? And again, I, I, I don't want to be simplistic. But simply to say, if if we and and Daryl has said this on an, on a previous occasion when when we've gotten together, uh, you mentioned it at the at the outset, which is we we stay and stand on the foundation of the Word of God, uh, and and when we and when we begin to examine our culture, the world we live in, and those we shepherd, we have to do so from a standpoint of standing on biblical ground, standing on biblical turf and using biblical terminology. Um, When we do that, how we navigate things from there is easy. And by that, I I mean it this way. We're going to use what scripture tells us to use in order to, 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 to pastor, in order to properly shepherd. When we use biblical terminology to diagnose the problems of the culture, it's not difficult for us to provide the right prescription and the proper cure. It's when we get off of that biblical framework, when we get outside of biblical terminology, when we get outside of a a, a biblical turf, that we end up on the turf of the world doing the kinds of things that the world dictates we're supposed to do in order to acquiesce to what they believe the real problems are. That's where we get messed up. So so when you ask, well, how how does a pastor pastor? I, I don't think a pastor pastors any differently than any pastor in previous times would pastor based upon the truths of what the word of God says. Uh, we should be confused about it. While, while the fruit of sin may manifest itself differently, we know the root of the issue is indeed sin. And since the root of the issue is sin, we have the prescription for its cure, which is found in the word of God. Do you, you want to add anything to that?
2: Yeah, I think that's very well said, Verge. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, and, and uh, I would, I would, um, I w- I'll just offer uh, to the manner in which the question was posed, I would just offer this. Um, I don't think, I really don't think that we're seeing any different manifestation of sins in the world today at all. Uh, what's happening is, is that with advancements in technology and media and whatnot, the instances of those sins is being observed and experienced by exponentially more people than has been previously so for instance you've got a channel like this we're using a virtual channel like zoom and with social media now everything is instantaneous all right so let's look let's go ahead and uh go back uh on the clock the clock of our calendar for just a second here there's always been ethnic prejudice okay in this nation there's always been uh what people will call Senseless murders of human beings, which when you look at those instances with, with through the lens of scripture, none of it's sens- senseless. I've always said there's no such thing as a senseless murder. When you look at the depravity of the human soul, every single murder makes sense. It's, it's what sinners do. It's what we do. So when you look at when you look at in the world through the lens of scripture, and you have to do, it, I thought the the, the, the Jared made, made a great point. Uh, or or it may have been Tom who was saying, well, what we're seeing a lot of pastors do is bring the word of God as as sort of a secondary or tertiary uh, addendum to uh, the message that they're trying to convey to society, okay? When you do that, when you do that, what you do is reduce the gospel to just another moral, ethical set of rules. I was reading the Quran the other day. Yes, the Quran, I was reading the Quran the other day. And it's interesting that Quran also speaks to the matter of injustice. The Quran teaches uh, Muslims to practice justice, fairness, to do good works, etc. Now, what the Christian has to understand, the pastors have to ask themselves this question too. What? Why is the, the answer to these, these issues that we're seeing in the world? Why is the gospel the answer, okay? If you're looking at the gospel as a moral solution, okay, in terms of works, in terms of getting active in communities and raising money for this effort or that effort or to create some sort of world where it's uh, there, there's more equity amongst people based on their uh, socioeconomic station or ethnicity or whatever, or whatever, you reduce the gospel to no different than the Quran. The Quran teaches morality and ethics Okay, so when you use the gospel as sort of a second, third, fourth level asterisk to what's happening in society, then the gospel is no different than any other Mm. worldview that's out there that teaches us to be moral and ethical to one another. Okay, but the reason the gospel is the answer to what we're seeing in the world is because the gospel is the only message that has the power to change hearts.
1: Amen. Amen.
2: It has the power to change hearts. And as Virgil said earlier, The root of the problem is sinful hearts, okay? So I don't think we're seeing anything different than what this world has seen for millennia, okay? It's just a matter of how we're experiencing those sins taking place in society. Nothing's different.
1: You know, uh, that's that's a helpful insight as we look at this, because sometimes we do think, oh, my goodness, you know, everything's changed. This is not our grandfather's sin. Well, yeah, actually it is. You know, this is the same world that we live in. Mm-hmm. We're seeing outbreaks of it, manifestations of it, that many of us have not seen in this degree in our lifetime. But the root is the exact same problem the Bible mm-hmm. talks about in Genesis 3. And, and if you don't make a right diagnosis, you'll never come up with the right prescription. And I feel like what's going on today is we have these folks that are trying to shepherd us and tell churches how to assess what's going on in the world. And their diagnosis is all wrong. For example, we've we've heard it said by uh, seminary professors that rather than look at what's going on, you need to try to understand why the rioters are rioting. And they've quoted Dr. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. saying that uh, rioting is the voice of the unheard. And so if we understand that the problem's really not so much sin, but it's just fe- people had not been heard, and we need to sit down and listen. Well, it seems to me that if you get on that road, you're on the wrong road, and you're never going to wind up at the right destination. What, what do you guys think about that type of approach to these issues today? saying, so, man, we need to sit down and listen to the folks that are rioting so that we can understand their hurt, understand their needs.
3: Riot- rioting is lawlessness, and lawlessness Scripture calls sin. Mm. So let's be let's be clear. Let's be crystal clear. And, and again, that's why that's why Daryl and I really effort never to get off of the pages of biblical terminology. We, we, we've we got to die. Diag- like you like you said, Tom, we've got to diagnose this rightly. Mm. And, and when we do and we stand on the pages of Scripture, we can see it clearly. I don't I don't have to quote Martin Luther King or Malcolm X or some other 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 figure, you know, James Cone. I don't have to I don't have to use those sources. When scripture is clear about what these things actually are, um, th- that that rioting is lawlessness. Lawlessness is sin. And so those who are rioting need to repent mm. uh, and place their true faith in Christ. Uh, I'll say that clearly, distinctly and without equivocation um, mm. and, and, and to and for someone to 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 lower the bar of expectation to such a degree where we kowtow to lawless acts and act as if that's somehow noble is unbelievably irresponsible. And anyone holding the title pastor who does that needs to repent. Mm-hmm. Absolutely needs to repent.
2: Yeah, that's a good word, uh, words. I appreciate you saying that I would just say this, you know, uh any any uh professing Christian leader, especially someone who uh has the title of pastor anyone who would suggest that scripturally speaking, there is an asterisk here to excuse the kind of lawlessness we're seeing uh, in society, they should be removed from the pulpit. Mm. Uh, there is no, there is no, uh, there are no loopholes in scripture with respect to this kind of behavior. I mean, there, there there's no scriptural basis for it whatsoever. So, Someone who says, well, yeah, we need to just come around the table and listen to one another. I mean, listen, that is the same argument that James Cone made back in the 60s James Cone, the father of black liberation theology, argued the same thing. He said that rioting, which is nothing but violence, which is nothing but lawlessness, which is nothing but stealing other people's property, all right, and in violation, obviously, of the commandments of God. James Cone argued that Writing uh, was a form of uh, a form of uh, revolution. Okay, as 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 if now, when you couch it, when you couch looting and rioting, the labels of protesting and revolution, it kind of gives a certain virtue to it. Mm-hmm. Revolution is, hey, America was founded on revolution. You know, most empires are built on revolution. So someone might say, well, that's that that's something that's 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 the virtue. That that is something we should uh, uh, aspire uh, to be connected with. But no, Vir- Virgil is absolutely right. Scripture calls it lawlessness, and lawlessness is sin, period. There are no loopholes here. So we need to give the word, the world back its vernacular. We need to give that back to the world, okay? Uh, we need to be dogmatic about being rooted in the Word of God and calling what we're seeing what the Word of God calls. Listen, the gospel doesn't call us to have listening roundtables and, and and conversations about what's going on in the world. The gospel calls us to call the world to repent, period. I mean, I really don't know what else to say here. Uh, I, I, all I can do is share with you what the gospel says, and that's all I can do. Is it, we, we are in the, as Christians, we are obligated, To call an unbelieving, ungodly, unrighteous world to repent and obey the gospel.
0: You know, both of your responses uh, seem quite simple and uh, quite accurate to me. So you say, okay, there's rioting in the streets, rioting is lawlessness, lawlessness is sin, you need to repent, and then if you're a pastor and you're permitting this kind of stuff and not addressing this stuff directly, then you need to be removed from the pulpit or you need to repent yourself. And yet, especially especially in the Southern Baptist circles, you know, a lot of Southern Baptist folks listen to this, that doesn't seem to be the tone that many pastors are striking about this they for some reason um they're not just saying that plainly or as directly and uh in the same tone as you men have do you have any idea on why why is it that pastors would not address the rioting directly? Why would they try to somehow either manage it or or at least justify it or treat it as lesser than what it really is? What's going on with these pastors and where do they need to really apply the word of God in their own lives so that they would be willing to name this for what it is?
3: Or- I I can't I can't speak to motivation but but here's what I here's what I know is that uh, in in many a Southern Baptist circle we have connected ourselves to two things that have been very unhelpful. One is pragmatism, mm. right? We, we we apply ourselves to that which we believe works. And right now, what works in the culture, in an effort to be relevant, what works in the culture is 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 this idea of of virtuous victimology. Um, hmm. the, the idea around the, the, the anyone who is a vic, in a victim class in, in a victim, a victimized status based upon their intersectionality points. I know you guys have talked about this ad at, at, at nauseum on your on your podcast. I listen to you guys pretty regularly. Anytime you, you've attached victimhood to a, a particular class of people. And establish that victimhood as virtuous in an effort to be pragma- in an effort to, to maintain y- your pragmatic approach, you've got to see that same victim class as virtuous mm-hmm. and, and appeal to them on the basis of their ongoing victim status. Well, that, that's that's a part of the problem. That's a piece of the problem, which is why what they do in those instances is they're willing to look at a particular group of people that are rioting and engaged in lawlessness and ignore the behavior. Or operate from a standpoint of partiality toward that group of people when they would not afford that same kind of kindness or generosity or or or, or placate another group of people for doing the same kind of activity. Second thing that's problematic is that we've walked away from biblical sufficiency. Mm. So now the Bible is no longer sufficient to explain, diagnose, uh, uh, and prescribe cure it's no longer sufficient for that, and 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 that's evident by the pragmatism that has taken place. And, and and as a result, the only thing that now that we've walked off the pages, it's the same thing we've been talking about. Now that you've walked off the pages of scripture, your only response is to is to is to genuflect to whatever the culture tells you is the right approach to the issue at hand, and and that's what's happening.
2: Mm. You know, I, just, I would just add to what Virgil says. You know, for me, I'm not a pastor, okay, but for me, I think the fundamental. Is that I would post to any pastor who's in the focus right now is, you know, what again, what, what why the gospel? <laughs> the gospel. I, th- I, th- I think, you know, when, when pastors don't preach directly against what's happening in the culture as it relates to riots and looting, uh shootings, you know, mobs of people going out interstates, uh, preventing other people from from leading uh, their lives. Uh, when pastors don't directly speak to that, uh, I think uh, perhaps they're motivated by a, uh, a, a misunderstanding or a misconception that the gospel uh, is some kind of message by whereby we all just get along. Mm-hmm. I call it the kind of kumbaya theology, mm-hmm. where you just get everyone together and we just kind of hold hands and sing uh, kumbaya. Let's all just come to a consensus and agreement and just just, let's just try to get another. But see, but that's not the gospel. Right. That's not the gospel. And listen, in Exodus 2015, it says, thou shalt not steal. What else do I need to say about the looting and the uh uh uh, uh damage to personal private property that's been going on? In the what else do I need to say? Why do I need to gather you around the table? listen to you so i can understand what your motives are what your socioeconomic situation are is rather what what is your what are your uh, uh dependencies or inter- interdependencies that's going on that may have resulted in uh, uh, caused you or motivated you or inspired you to go rob a store of things that you pay for mm. why do i need to go beyond exodus 2015 to explain that yeah. I, I don't. I don't know. I, I wish a pastor would answer that question for me. And listen, I say that as somebody who himself was raised in the throes of material poverty. I would put my my impoverished resume up against anyone, okay. And yet, I had no excuse whatsoever to steal a pair of shoes, to steal a pair of pants, to steal a shirt, to steal food. I don't care how hungry I was. I don't care how. Shoes were. I don't care how, how how my clothes were. I had no excuse for going out, taking from someone else that which did not belong to me. But when now we have a bunch of cultural pastors out there who who, who want to na- make a name for themselves, see themselves as relevant, have their name attached to a ministry somewhere, and 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 and, and in doing that and being motivated to to sort of uh, fatten up their resume. They in a lot of instances. Okay, have lost the courage to preach the gospel for what it is. Amen. You see, Amen. so yeah. again, I have to ask them the question: Why the gospel
3: at all? If you're not going to preach it, why the gospel at all, brother? Let me let me add let me add this quickly. It, it it's the soft bigotry of low expectation. It, it's the it's the soft bigotry of of incredibly low expectation. Mm-hmm. Uh, when what's happening out there is. Is not simply I need to be heard. If you watch some of the video that I've seen of these folks lawlessly breaking into spaces, these are opportunists. Th- these these aren't people who are who are grieving. Woe is me, you know. Please, somebody hear me. They're opportunists racing into a <coughs> store after the after the window has been broken down. I, I have no problem, and and I, I'll, I'll say this, Pastor Tom, and be brief. And, and that is. I have no problem sitting and listening to someone. I did this not long ago. There was a opportunity here in, in Omaha where a bunch of pastors gathered together and just wanted to want to have a conversation around issues of, of ethnicity and, and 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 the like. I was happy to sit down and listen to whatever issue was happening uh in, in, in their context. Had no problem doing that. But for us to equate that same thing to the lawless actions that we're seeing of, of rioters who are really opportunists and to and for pastors to perpetuate the soft bigotry of low expectation. That's just, that's just, it's ridiculous. Amen. It really is.
1: Amen. You know, it, th- this is so refreshing uh, to have this conversation. I'm sitting here thinking, why is this so easy? And it's easy because we've got four men here who are pre-committed to the word of God, and we're willing to talk on the basis of that. And yet having conversations about race and the racial tension, racial divides in our nation, it's volatile it's volatile and uh you know you feel like you're walking in a, a minefield uh, jared and i've talked about this a lot just in our own experiences he grew up in a small town here in florida and you know it was very much uh, uh three or four different races that were all together and you didn't really think much about being uh in a in that type of context uh, i grew up in a time when man racial riots were common in my town my high school and we we had all police there all the time and uh, i was trying to be a peace broker as a Christian during those days, and so I, I have a lot of, of memories and issues I had to work through uh, growing up with that. And to hear the, the language that's thrown around, you know, I, I hear the names you guys are called and the names that, that we and guys like us that, that aren't black are called by folks who think they're standing on some kind of higher virtual ground, v- virtue ground, it grieves me. And I want to understand, I want to listen, but I come to a point where I want to just tell these folks, look, we're not even practicing the same religion, and I don't don't know where you're coming from, and I feel like we're moving more and more to that point within some of the voices, trusted voices, in evangelicalism. I just want to say, look, I don't know your religion, but we got a book, and we want to try to stay on the book. I mean, you guys, y'all get this. I mean, you, you know, again, I've seen it online. I'm sure you have, too. Uh, well, yeah. So what? You have uh, Daryl and Virgil on. So what? They don't really represent authentic blackness. So uh, what do you what do you say to that? I mean, where? How do you respond in a Christian way that is 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 forceful, uh, appropriately forceful, and clear and gracious?
3: I'm 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 smiling because I know what Daryl is going to say. <laughs> I already know I already know what he's going to say.
2: Yeah. So, um, you know. It's, it's, it's just interesting. I mean, you're right, Tom. Number one, Virgil, I've probably called every ethnic epithet in the book. Yep. Um, you know, over the years, uh, for, I'll let Virgil speak for himself. But my own personal experience is that uh, no one white has ever called me coon. No one white has ever called me house nigger. No one white has ever called me Uncle Tom. No one white has ever called me sellout. Hmm. Okay. Every time those those uh, pejoratives have been has been used have been used against me, is is from is when someone, but someone who looked like me, hmm. someone whose melanin was similar to mine. Okay, I've never had experience of someone like you, Tom, or you, Jared, of anyone, uh, of of your melanin persuasion, refer to me by any of those labels. But this idea of this idea of blackness, I mean, l- listen. All it takes in society, right, uh, f- for, for, uh, for these sort of ideologies and philosophies to, to rear their ugly heads is Socio right sociocultural trigger. In this case, here in 2020, the sociocultural trigger was the shooting of George Floyd. Mm-hmm. I don't know what uh, uh, this idea of blackness has to do with George Floyd being dead. Uh, But you can, when you've been through enough of these, like Virgil and I have, you come to understand that the narrative is always predictable, it is subjective, and it's cyclical. Cyclical meaning there's always an incident that occurs that raises the narrative up again. And then over time, that narrative disappears. Okay, I was sharing with Virgil the other day. It's interesting to me that the day before George Floyd was murdered, Onto my pancakes and syrup were just fine. Uh, Eskimo pies were just fantastic. Uh, These statues that are now being torn down—they were all. There was nothing said about. They were all secure in their places. But now, with George Floyd being murdered or killed, because the case is still being adjudicated, um, all of that now is is uh, is 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 somewhat. Uh, Uh, in question.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. But this idea of uh, of blackness is one of those narratives that comes up every now and then when the right sociocultural trigger is pulled. Um, I don't identify this idea of blackness because it is no different. People who argue for blackness, they're just as guilty of stereotyping black people as someone of an other ethnicity is or would be and that is what the that that is listen we're still fighting those stereotypes today right you know and 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 one thing i will say is one way in which we're fighting the stereotype of, of of what it means to to be black a lot of that stereotype is is within the black community itself okay so people like virgil and i because of the christian worldview that we have because of the uh, socio-cultural ideology that we share, that which is rooted in scripture and is not rooted in liberation theology, right. we're ostracized even within the black community. Okay, so blackness don't never define blackness in terms of skin color because that's not mm-hmm. even enough.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, your experience. And your worldview must also be equal to that. You must be on the same plane. You must check all the boxes in order to be considered authentically Black. Okay, you, you must check the theological block box. You must check the socio-cultural ideology box. You must check the uh, block of, box of social justice and social. You must check. It's never just about skin color. Okay, so when somebody talks to talks to me about blackness or what it means to be authentically black. That very notion is hypocritical by definition because it doesn't even embrace all black people. Mm.
3: Mm. Yeah, I would would only add this just briefly. And that is, I I, I thought my brother would put it even more succinctly than that. I mean, he said it in in a longer version, the short version, because the question you asked was, how, how do we deal with those kinds of issues? Uh, we stopped caring a long time ago.
1: Amen. <laughs> Boy, that goes a long way when you don't care, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, we just, <laughs> I, We 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 stopped caring a long time ago about what others think about us, or whether we identify with a particular tribe, or whether we or whether we're we, we, again. I think Daryl made the point earlier. I, I've been called everything but a but a child of God, and primarily those kinds of epitaphs come from those who who have the same melanin count. Uh, or more than mine. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, and again, within uh, Daryl and I have dealt with the issue of, of, of intra-racial or intra-ethnic, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, hatred, right. Where, where, where the brother who has a little lighter melanin is, is ostracized a little bit more. He's not black enough. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so I've, I've dealt with all of those pieces of the puzzle and really, at the end of the day, I, I really don't care. Um, I I've stopped caring. I mean, my, my inbox, I could, I could flood him. I could flood anyone's inbox with all the things that, 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 have been said about me to me about my mama, about somebody, you know, the whole nine yards. It's, it's irrelevant to me. What really matters at the end of the day is, is the truth of the word of God. Uh, that's a, that's what we stand upon. Now, if someone has a, has an argument where I've, I've, I've misquoted a scripture or misaligned some idea about what the scripture says, I'm I'm all ears, but if it's mm-hmm. just if it's just watered down to to something you you don't like about me or you, or I haven't sub, I haven't made a the, the right subscription to to the tribalism or, or the or the tribal view of, of a particular group of people, I'm I'm good on that. So,
0: mm-hmm. Versa, that's right on, man. In the um, you know on on both spheres, whether uh, in, kind of say any kind of Christian ministry, whether a man's skin is uh, black, man's skin is white, or anywhere in between the it seems the one of the errors of the day is seeking that glory that comes from man rather than the glory that comes from god and if you do that you're just going to be destroyed in this particular time and what freedom there is to say i'm a christian like you know i'm not i'm not surprised when sinners sin and i'm not surprised when sinners accuse me according to their playbook which is not scripture and to I thank God for for you guys and being willing to stand there and say, "Well, I'm going to stand upon the Word of God and operate that way." When we did by what standard? I was struck by how many people called us, you know, misogynist and homophobic and racist. And eventually, it does. You kind of go through this whole process. You're like, "Well, okay, all right." Once you say it that many times, um, it really does seem to lose its power. And then the
3: Welcome to the the family, Jared. (laughs) Welcome to the family, right?
0: (laughs) I know. And then, um, you know, and and then the beauty of being a Christian going, you know what? I really can be a misogynist and I can really be racist and I can really be homophobic. I I have the capacity to be all of those things. And if anybody can really prove to me from the word of God that I have done those things, well, then I get to do this thing called repent, which is another thing that Christians Mm. do because there's no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. Mm. And so there's absolutely a danger of being hardened once you start to speak to these issues. And we're not commending that at all. But we are saying you're living in a time where there is this pagan thought that this mm-hmm. is pervasive in America. And so if you're going to actually stand up on these issues, you're going to be called these names. And I I, I believe we need many, many, many more men that are willing to do it. I'm, I'm a bit concerned about how small the circle is. It's kind of like a cave of Agilum kind of thing. <laughs> you know, it's like here we are and there, here's the distressed and the debt ridden guys that are all gathering together and trying not to bow to the emperor Saul. But we do need more men to actually go through the process of speaking up on these issues, getting punched in the mouth a number of times, not bowing the knee to Caesar, and then continuing to press on in grace and truth. And you guys model that. So thank you so much for what you're doing.
3: Yeah. Jared, thanks for that. Let me let me just interject and say this: I completely, 100%, agree with you. Uh, you mentioned at the top we we had had the privilege of being in the the, the number one. Christian podcast in, in the nation, and uh, we're honored by that. But at the same time, Daryl and I both have have expressed concern about that, mm. right? Because mm. what, it, what it says to us on the one hand is we know what we're standing on. We're standing on the word of God. What, what that also says is that there are a lot of people who want to hear the truth, who are racing to those handful of places and spaces where that kind of truth is being expressed. And so that's a problem. Yeah. Uh, it's a problem because they're not, there aren't more of us saying that one of the things that I love about founders and I love about you guys and why, why, why I connect with you guys on, on a number of different levels is because you care, you carry that forward. You, you care about telling the truth regardless of, of what that looks like, regardless of the kind of hits that you'll take. You guys have stood up for those kinds of things in SBC circles and in circles period all along. If there's any, if there's any, any encouragement that I would give for our melanin chat. Brothers and sisters, it would be do the right self-examination to the point that you made earlier. Let's do the self-reflection, man. If there be any wicked way in me, Lord, take it, take it out. You know, do do the do the Matthew seven, taking the log out of your eye so that you can see clearly to, to see the speck in your brother's eye. But at the end of the day, it is incumbent upon each one of us to stand firmly upon the truth of Scripture, upon the Word of God, and to declare that in the most powerful and effective way. Because there's there are too few of us. Willing to take the stand and willing to do that
2: Amen You know uh, uh, Jared you know To sort of piggyback on what you were just saying there earlier It's, it's interesting that in Revelation 21 8 um, As we see Descriptions of various behaviors And characteristics Of, of uh, folks who will not inherit them. In Revelation 21 8 The cowardly are listed first
1: Hmm. Mm.
2: The cowardly are listed first, and I think, you know, I'm not going to call anyone a coward uh, by name. I've got some folks in, my, in mind, but I'm not going to call them out by name here. But I think, I think there's there's a one of the one of the great numbers about the gospel in the church today is that the gospel is supposed to make us friends with everyone.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: That when you when you that 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 a a a uh, a precursor to sharing the gospel with someone is to make friends with them uh to relate. Uh, to them, to understand them, you know, uh, one of my greatest examples in Scripture in the New Testament is in John four, and Jesus' discourse with the Samaritan woman. Jesus didn't try to understand why she'd had so many husbands before. He 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 didn't call her to to sit down o- over dinner to say, "Hey hey, listen, explain to me what your circumstances are right now, to where you're living with this man who's not your husband." Uh, you know, no no, Jesus did none of that. Jesus did none of that. Jesus, was, as he always did. He went straight to the heart of the man, which was the heart. Right. You see, and and listen, Jesus Himself said, "Don't think that I came to bring to bring peace. If that's if that's your uh estimate of who I am or what I came to do, you're wrong. You're wrong. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword." And then Jesus went on to uh, uh, declare specifically the types of relationships that will be divided and split based on who he who he is and what he came to do. Yeah. Okay, so we, there are many misnomers that are being played out about the gospel today, but one of them that's doing the most to the church right now is the is, is the idea that as Christians, we are supposed to get along with a world that couldn't care less about our message or the God in whom we believe. And we need to we need to we need to disavow that uh, uh, misconception right now and be courageous and preach the gospel as Jesus himself preached. It. Amen. Amen.
1: That is so good there. You know, it, it, yeah, Jesus was pretty gospel centered, wasn't he? And, and he got crucified. You know, we hear all this talk about being gospel-centered in our day, and it seems like they forget the gospel. And it is the gospel that, that sets us free. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just rejoicing in this conversation. And again, it is because I don't have any doubt about the four of us sitting here talking that we are all clear and pre-committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it does set you free from not having to care about criticisms. When I, When I am thinking right, it doesn't matter what anybody says about me. Uh, I've already been condemned publicly on the cross. I mean, the Mm -hmm. death of Jesus on the cross says Tom Mm -hmm. Askell is such a scoundrel. It took God's own son shedding his blood Mm -hmm. in order for him to be saved. Mm -hmm. So what can you say about me that's going to be worse Mm -hmm. than that? It may not be true specifically what you say, but it's not close to how bad it really is. And then I don't have to look for the applause of men either because I have been justified on that cross. And God has accepted me for the sake of my Savior who shed his blood. So if I've already been condemned and I've already been justified, then I'm free. I don't have to to bow and scrape for the uh, applause of people. And I don't have to kowtow whenever they start condemning me.
0: And, I, mm-hmm. you
1: know, I just, I mean you guys, we're having this conversation because we all believe that.
0: Amen. Amen. Amen.
3: Where, where's my Where's my Hammond B? I need my. I that's need right. He <laughs> was talking that gospel. I wanted to jump on the organ a little bit, man.
0: That's right, brothers. it's been so wonderful to have you guys on the Sword and the Trial. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with Amen. us. And you guys,
2: wait, 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 Are we Are we done? Is that it? No, 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 no. We go We. we, we that's just like
1: a little intermission. Now we're done. We're okay, start. all right. Y'all, y'all got
0: those footnotes and stuff on y'all's podcast, man. Y'all go deep and long, and so y'all got to check that out. This was just an appetizer for the just, thinking, just podcast. thinking podcast go check that out and for those who have listened you've heard this but no uh, racial reconciliation um is found in the blood of jesus christ Amen. jesus christ is the only righteous man who's ever walked this earth he lived for us he died for us he rose again from the dead for us and in him we find forgiveness of sins we find reconciliation to god we find reconciliation with one another and we, uh, these four men here that, including myself, that have been talking about this, want you to know that. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, and you will live and you will find life truly. Thank you so much for listening to the sword and the trial today, and we look forward to seeing you next time.
1: Thanks, brothers. God Thank bless you guys.